have your Bible, take it with me as we say our Bible decree this morning. And uh, lift it nice and high if you would, please. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not against God. Hallelujah. Listen, church, the only way we find freedom is to get into the word of God. Listen, this message isn't about me today. It's about our Savior. So we can come to church and we're like, okay, now we've come to the place where, where people preach and you're going to put me to sleep. Well, I'm just going to ask you if you'll just glean from Almighty God and, and seek wisdom from Him as you grow in Him today. I love what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Then 1 Corinthians 10 13, it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. Then Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many want to say today that you're alive in Christ? Amen. All right, we only have four people. How many of you would say today that you're alive in Christ? Remember this, that the Bible says that no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. Listen to me, church. Today is your day. Today is your day of breakthrough of deliverance and when you feel like you have got you have no hope because of what people have said about you and because of your circumstances i want you to know that jesus christ is the way the truth and the life and you no longer have to live in your guilt no longer live in your shame no longer live in your past no longer live in your sin because jesus christ is the victor in all of our lives we live a life where we live in shame in disgrace in embarrassment and church as I've been preaching on this series of message, this is number two, despising the shame. We're going to talk about Christ today, but I hopefully I'll be able to bring this to you and you'll be able to get it. Listen, I love in that one song that says, no fear or shame shall overcome me. We started off our service today in echo. I think I saw the word shame in there. I didn't realize just how much our community uses the word shame. Through song, through word, through deed, people live a life walking in shame. It's such a shame. It really is. People will say, that's a shame. But it truly is sad because we sit and we tell people we're walking in Christ. But when hardship comes our way and we start reflecting on ourselves, we start losing a sense of who we are because guess what happened? We lost a sense of who he was. So I'm here to tell you today, church, that God is here to help you to get over your shame. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if we shall confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of the shame. So we came to church today because many of us that are in this room, I mean, I'll bet you there's quite a few people that are sinners. I'm one of them. I am not exempt and neither are you. We've all come together because we want to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow 
Because he lives, all fear is gone. So I want to encourage you today. We come together once a week just to say, you know what? I'm here. We want to learn from the word. So I was up here singing and fear came over me. Guess what I said to the good old, mean old, nasty old, ugly looking devil. I said, get behind me, Satan, for thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and only him shalt thou serve. And so that's why I got up here and started preaching like I did. Because I'm going to tell you, this message isn't about me today. It's about us. It's about our journey together. Looking to Jesus is not something that's natural for us. Normally we don't look to Jesus, but we look to other things. We are distracted by all the noise around us, people, sounds, looks from others, chains of scenery, etc. Always focusing on what others think of us, what our friends have said about us, what our loved ones, parents, siblings, and relatives have to say about us. You can't concentrate because of what's going on all around you. Facebook is telling you one thing. Everybody has an opinion. Well, that's great. I'm glad you have one too. We all have an opinion. We're all entitled to that opinion. That's all that matters. Some people use fake book as a way to be able to say what they can't say to your face. It's what they do. Listen. We're going to be looking, if you look in your Bible, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And we'll soon see what the scriptures have to say out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? (laughs) You just fell right into my trap. You know, we, many of us look in the mirror and we think we have to solve the issues. We look in the mirror, and when we look back in that mirror, there's nobody else there. The only reflection that you see is you. Remember, you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows you. He created you. Yes, some of us have longer noses than others. Some have no lips. Some have some lips. Some have big ears. Some have no ears. Some have some hair. Some have no hair. Some have pretty teeth. Others have a gap in their teeth. It is what it is. And so we look at it because we measure our life by what people have told us. I mean, come on, think about it. You came into church today because you're judging and you think people are judging you. A lot of people come to church. We had our first kickoff this past Thursday. Got in, a lady said she sat in her car, frightened to come in. What were people going to say about her? I mean, I'm stepping in a church? Because the world thinks that everybody in the church is perfect. Well, I need to let all of you know something right now. I am not. None of us are perfect. We are all here for the same common goal. To thrive, to become closer, and to have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. The perfecter, the author, and the creator of our life. That's Jesus Christ. Do you ever get distracted like that? What is front of your eyes, what you're looking at, what you're seeing, kind of distracts you and detours you. Most often in life, quite honestly, we look at ourselves. We may not look at a mirror, but we ask, what do I need? How do I look? What do people think about me? How do I feel? I want you to remember something. 
thinking only about ourselves will derail good communication. What happens when we look only at ourselves? We fall into a trap. The first trap we fall into is called pride. The first trap we fall into is called pride. We think to ourselves, look at all I've done and who I am. I see all the wonderful things which I've done for people, for family, for God, and I am a pretty stinking good person. We begin to praise ourselves and to think too much about ourselves. Now, none of us would probably say some of these things, but we would see ourselves on a higher level than others. Like, we're the good Christians. Those who are faithful to the scripture, that is me. Or we're better Christians because we pray more. We're closer to God. We stay faithful when others give up. It's so easy to fall into these types of thinkings. We can look at people and say, well, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't even swear. Matter of fact, I don't even have a tattoo. Why? Because I'm a cut above the rest. Now, again, we're not going to say any of this, but we will catch ourselves thinking these thoughts over and over and over and over and over and over again. What makes us think that we are any better than anybody else? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Pride is a very dangerous trap because it slowly blinds us and then we don't see God, but we slowly become our own God. It destroys a relationship with God. We forget that if it wasn't for the grace of God, that person couldn't be me. And then God's word must once again crush our heart, humble us and bring us to repentance. Otherwise, there is not hope because pride is a terrible and horrible trap. Second, a second trap when we look at ourselves is shame. No one likes the feelings of shame. I believe that nothing hurts us more in life than suffering that comes from shame. When you are ashamed for some reason and do nothing about it, shame can destroy you. People would rather die than live with shame. Let's go ahead and look here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily beset us, discourage us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher, the creator of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's stop right there. We've got to be careful about pride and about our shame. First Samuel chapter 31. I think we're going to read that. Let's, let's just turn to First Samuel chapter 31. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, Ezra. So we're going to go back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first and second Samuel, and it'll be first Samuel chapter 31, first Samuel chapter 31. We're going to talk about a man, and it was funny that that Cerner brought this up in class this morning because this was in my message. 
this came as a as a cool but neat little story. I'm going to read it out of uh, the KJV. I actually brought my NLT because I liked the narrative in that too, but I'm already here. So um, 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Machilshua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul. And the battle was against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers, and, which was the arrows. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised, which is Philistines, come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was so afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died, his three sons and his armor-bearer, and all his men that same day together. Wait a minute. We're talking about a king here. A guy who was highly favored of God, who was anointed by Samuel, and yet took his own life. It's interesting to me. King Saul chose to kill himself rather to be killed by the Philistines in battle. Shame can shape our lives from childhood, but if shame is a result of sin, it can lead us to repentance and then trust in God's salvation through Christ. Let me show you what happened. It says in the NLT and some of the other ones, he felt embarrassed that the Philistines were coming after him because he had lost his footage. He had lost his ground. He had lost his way. So what happened with Saul was because he was so pompous and so proud that here's what he did. He looked at his armor bearer, an armor bearer in the word of God is much like a deacon or a trustee. They're there for the pastor. This is modern day today. And so they're there to hold up kind of like Aaron and Ur was there with Moses. These are armor bearers as Jonathan was there with King David. King David, David was then there for Saul. And that at one point in his life, that was King Saul's armor bearer, which is David. And it said here, listen, I've already been shot up. I've already been wounded. Do me a favor. Take your sword out and just kill me. Murder me. Take my life. And his armor bearer said, I will not do that. So Saul, it says in the Bible that he slew his thousands. That the Bible said he was very handsome. A man of stature. A man who was godly at one point in his life. And then sin came in, creeped in his life. And he could not face His people by saying, I lost against the Philistines. So here's what he did. He took the sword and he killed himself. All because of shame. All because of shame. So what do we learn from this? We learned that when pride creeps in and shame starts to creep in on us, it will take Our very lives. It will destroy you. And we've got to humble ourselves. What's the scripture says? God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the the proud. Man, we're no different. 
We filled up this middle section on Thursday night because this was a night of recovery, of hope, of victory. No, what we were telling the world was this. We are new hope for recovery because we're all recovering from the shame of our past. And so it's amazing to me to think that we all have something that we bear. So last night, Gabe was at, at, at home and uh, at our house, and many of you know Gabe. And so Gabe is uh, very special to us. We love Gabe. He's effeminate. He's very effeminate. And uh, because he's feminine, he got picked on a lot in school. So I looked at him. I said, are you going to be at church tomorrow? He goes, no, I've got to go to my church. I'm playing in the band. I said, okay. So as we were talking, I said, can I share your story? He goes, yeah, what you guys don't know about Gabe, which is our kid's friend, which we love Gabe, and he's one of the sons. Even when I go in my prayer closet every night, this is how it prays. Victoria's not in here. She's back in the the toddler room or nursery. It's like this. God, I pray for Caitlin and Ryan, Victoria and Gabe, Megan and Travis, Seth and Lindsay. And so I go down through my list of of all the kids. But I said, what shame for you? Tell me a story of shame in your life. What happened? He said, well, in school, I was likable. You know, a lot of people liked me. I said, okay. And, you know, he's a young man. And he's a lot of people liked me. And I said, so go ahead, continue. So he started to tell me that in his school he was crowned and voted on as homecoming king. And as he was being voted homecoming king, there's always naysayers. People are always going to put you down. They're always going to ridicule you. And he said, as I was going out there on the field and I was getting crowned, people were booing me. The football players were booing me because I wasn't like them. And I started to feel a sense of embarrassment, a sense of shame. They were calling me names and obscenities that were just, it was terrible. And so my next question to him was, well, how did you get over this? What did you do? How did you overcome such adversity and and feeling like they, he goes, I'm going to tell you how I do it. And I loved his illustration. He said, this is my life. He said, I don't, I knew where I was going. I walked out on that field and I, I looked towards the mark. And I said, okay, I was voted on as king. It doesn't matter what some of these people say. I don't care who doesn't like me. I'm not looking. And this is what he did to me. He put his hands up and he goes, I'm not looking to my left or to my right. Watch. I thought it was really interesting. Because when he did that, he goes, I'm not going to look to my left. What was he doing? He was looking around that parameter. He goes, and I'm not looking to my right. He said, I'm staying focused. I'm staying focused on the one thing that I need to achieve, and that is that crown. He goes, I loved people. I've always been good. And and yet, here's what happened even in Paul's life. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, none of these things move me, neither I count myself dear unto myself, but I will finish this course that God has gave me, this life that he's given me, no matter the hardship, the shame, no matter what people tell me, I am going to stay focused on Calvary. I'm going to stay focused on the Christ. I know I was a murderer of Christians, and now I'm preaching 
to the lost world because everybody needs the same Jesus that I found on the road to Damascus. And I'm not looking outside this parameter, and I'm not going to look outside that parameter. I don't care what shame that the enemy has to put on me because I'm going to continue to keep going because there's a prize ahead for me. And that's for every single one of us. We have to live a life of faith. Maybe some of you that are in this room, you might think I'm a hopeless case. I'm without any value. Nothing good can ever really come out of my life. Others around me are successful. But look at me. I'm always behind. I never will be good enough. I might work day and night, but it will never, ever be enough. Have you ever found yourself thinking these thoughts? Even for a moment. You know what this is? This is a trap of shame. And the result is depression, is pain, and actually self-destruction. Being a youth pastor and dealing with people and being in the arena of family counseling, it breaks my heart when I know that young people would, would have, have come to me in the past and they've shown me their arms where they're cutting because the pain of peer pressure, the pain of the hurt and and all the things that goes on in their life, they're cutting up their arms. And I'm like, listen, you are of value. You are anointed. You are a child of the Most High God. Don't you ever believe the lies of Satan. Because you have value. The other day I was at one of my accounts. And one of the black gentlemen that, that worked there. I walked up to the sink. He says, well, how you doing, Todd? I go, good. How you doing, Bill? He said, Highly favored. And he leaned into it. He was right here. He's like, highly favored. And I said, now that's what I'm talking about. High five. We're high fiving each other. Oh, you are highly favored. It's a good day, isn't it? Remember, one day of favor is worth more than a lifetime of labor. You can labor your whole lifetime and it not put you where one day of favor can place you. You have favor. You are anointed. You are a child of the Most High God. You are a victor. You're not a victim. Have you heard that before? Amen. You're a winner. You're not a whiner. Come on, run the good race for Christ. God's Word gives us a solution to these two traps. And if we look here in this text in Hebrews, it says, look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the author and he's the finisher. This is the way to escape these terrible traps. But when we look to Jesus, we don't see our holy lifestyle and good actions, but we see the holiness of Jesus Christ. We confess our imperfections and trust in the Lord. Our hope is not in ourselves, but is in Jesus who lived the life we haven't lived. You guys can look up at a later time. Because of time, I'm going to be very careful here. But Psalms 33, verses 20 through 22, and Psalms 121, you can look those up at a later date. What do you see when you look to Jesus? Do you see Jesus who is angry at you and points his finger in accusations? Or do you see Jesus who comes to you with open arms ready to receive you? Amen. And if you believe, if you have confessed your sins and trust in the Lord, it means that he's not ashamed of you. He wants you to fall into his arms and receive his love. Why is that? Because the Lord created you and completed that which you are not able to do because he is the perfecter of our faith. Jesus lived like you are not able to live. He suffered the shame of your sins, and he paid for them. Look to Jesus, 
Don't look to the past. And don't look at your failures. Every day we look to Jesus who has brought us together with the Father. This morning I also want our eyes to look to Jesus and also to see the ways Jesus dealt with horrible situations he found himself in. But you say, but pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, think for a moment. Did Jesus Christ ever have an easy life? Did Jesus have an easy life? Of course not. He was ridiculed. He was laughed at. For the entire three years of his ministry, he experienced false accusations and insults. How did he survive those accusations that were piled on him? His own family treated him with disrespect. They even said that he was going crazy, that he was a nut job. Mark chapter 3 verse 21 says this. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Was Jesus really losing his mind? Of course not. But you see, that's how all of his family talked about him. And don't you think that hurt, that would hurt him to hear all of the allegations against him? More well known is the treatment of the religious authorities. John eight fifty two says the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Did Jesus really have a demon? Of course not. But he heard those kinds of accusations from those who were the most conservative, Bible-believing teachers of that day. So how did that feel? How did that make him feel? His closest friends rejected him. Remember Peter rejected Jesus saying, I don't know him. I don't have a clue who that guy is. The rest of the disciples ran away when he was in the greatest need, abandoned by his friends. That had to have hurt him. The greatest religious authority of his day, the high priest, it says they accused him of blasphemy, of accursing God, and then they spit in his face and struck him and then slapped him. Even when he was hanging on the cross and dying, he heard insults from those below. Here's what it says in Matthew 27, verses 42 and 43. Oh, you know what? You saved others. He cannot even save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from that cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Jesus experienced many words of accusation and he experienced words of insult. Jesus guilty of any of them? No. Not even one accusation is true. But our text in Hebrews says that he, what? He looked at He endured the cross. How did he bear it all? We could say, oh, Jesus is simply God, and it's, it's just, it's easier for him. But Jesus was also 100% man and had emotions just like we do. But there is a huge difference between him and us. Jesus knew how to react. So how did Jesus react to humiliation? Every time people tried to accuse him of false accusations and insults, Jesus rejected those words. 
He didn't allow them to touch his heart. Our text says that Jesus, what? What's it say next? He despised the shame. Despising the shame. He knew how to react to shame and humiliation. He just said this, don't pay attention to us. Don't pay attention to us. Why? Because it is his sin. It is not his sin. And it is not his guilt. His family, the religious authority, his friends and the crowds wanted to throw him upon guilt and shame. But you see, Jesus didn't allow it. Say this with me. Don't allow it. Jesus is free from their accusations. It's easier said than done, but this is the key to dealing with shame. And friends, this is a very, very important lesson that we need to learn when looking at Jesus. Every one of us in this room understands and knows what it means to hear false accusations. Some of us from childhood have heard these same kinds of things that Jesus heard. Maybe this will strike a chord, and I'm sorry, but, oh, you're not good enough. You'll never make anything of yourself. You're such a failure. Guess what? You'll always be a nobody. And some of us in this room know what it is to be humiliated physically and to feel that horrible shame. When we believe the words of accusation and focus on the shame, we end up destroying ourselves from being okay. You begin thinking that you are truly evil, that you are not needed, and that you are a problem. And you're not. Listen to the story of William. He's 40 years old and suffers from depression. Why, as a child, he never knew the love of his father. His dad always yelled at him, and his dad never praised him. Even when he did something good, little Billy thought that he never was able to do anything good. He was ashamed of himself and thought that was the reason his father never hugged him and didn't even love him. Do you see the lies that are told and believed by this boy? boy? And now he's a 40-year-old man? But the young boy didn't see the lies and live with the feeling of shame for 40 years. I believe that this story is fairly common today. Maybe it's your story. Maybe it's your experience. So many of us have experienced accusation filled with words of shame. I'm never good enough. I'll never be able to accept myself. So we live day after day after day with hidden shame. You can be 80 years old and still suffer from wounds inflicted from your youngest years because you concentrate on your shame and accusations. So what is the solution? Look to Jesus. Don't look at your shame. Here's the answer. Allow the shame to be placed at the foot of the accuser. It isn't yours. It doesn't belong to you. Look to Jesus who says, you are my beloved child. You are my precious son. You are my precious daughter. Fall into my arms. I want to hug you. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made. I formed you. I created you. I have called you by name and you are mine. You are anointed. You are highly favored and you are a child of the most high God. No one has to bear insults 
example of this shame. Shame is like a prison. But as a son or daughter of the king, you, you have the key to freedom. You don't have to fall into that trap. And here's, here it is as we wind things down and I close. And if you've sinned, confess that sin today. Because Jesus already paid for that. He experienced all the shame and put the death on the cross. You don't have to pay anymore with suffering and good deeds. Because Jesus said, listen, church, listen, children, I'm the founder and perfecter of your faith. If you haven't sinned, but you hear the accusations and you feel the shame, look to Jesus who despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love what Jesus did here. He threw out those lies and he said, <clears throat> I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father because he didn't believe anything that the world had to say. He sat at the right hand of God's Father. He stands on the truth and doesn't listen to lies. So where's the place? Where do we belong? Colossians 1 reminds us, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 3, 3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Did you hear that? Your life is hidden together with Christ in God. When? Right now. We don't have to deserve God's acceptance. We have it now because of Jesus Christ. And I love this thought. So how does God the Father treat an infant? He loves her and receives her him and says, you're mine. You're my own. You're my own possession. You are precious. And you're my beloved child. Does the baby say, I don't want you. I'm not worthy. I don't have a good character to be your child. Matter of fact, I cry too much. I drink too much milk. I don't want to be yours. You can't provide. I need more diapers. My diapers are always dirty. You don't need that. I need more, 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 more. Uh, by the way, I don't have enough love for you. I don't need you in my life anymore. No, a baby receives the love of the father. The baby receives the love of the mother. The baby receives the love of the father. That's the character of a little child, which Jesus praises. He gives us an example, Mark 10, 15, where he says, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. A baby isn't an example of what it means to receive God's love, a baby looks to Jesus and doesn't feel ashamed. And this is the attitude towards God. That is needed not only when we're children, but for our whole life. Granted, there are times when we have failed and need to confess our guilt and sin, but you can but can you receive God's love and acceptance today? Can all of us in this congregation say that God loves you? Do you believe that? So don't look to yourself. Church, please don't look to your past. Don't look to your shame. Don't look to your failures. But look to your beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at his life. Look at his wide open arms and listen to his words which say, I love you, my beloved child. Come to me. And if you've been running and you feel like, well, I'm the prodigal, I want you to know that he'll receive you right where you're at. Never look at your shame any longer. Never go back to your past. 
He says there, there's joy, joy, joy every day. He said, I hate shame. And because I let go of it and I laid it at the foot of my accuser, you let go of it. Look to the person next to you and say, let it go. Just let it go. Just like the song, right? I, I think some of you get that. Church, how many of you believe that you're enough? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You are enough. Listen closely. If I were Jesus, I believe here's what I would say. I believe that Jesus spoke to shame like this. Listen to me, shame. You don't see the joy in front of you. Compared to that, you are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you. You think you have power compared to the joy before me? You have none. Joy, joy, joy. That is my power. Not you, shame. You are worthless. You are powerless. You think you can distract me? I won't even look at you. I have a joy set before me. Why would I look at you? You are ugly and despicable, and you are almost finished. You cover me now as with a shrewd. Before you can say so, there, I will throw you off like a filthy rag. I will put on my royal robe. You think you are great because even last night you made my disciples run away. You are a fool, shame. You are a despicable fool. That abandonment, that loneliness, this cross, these tools of yours, they are all my sacred suffering and will save my disciples, not destroy them. You are a fool. Your filthy hands fulfill holy prophecy. Farewell, shame, for it is finished. Isn't that awesome? As we rise to our feet, there's a song that we're going to sing for, for our invitation. And he said, hey, let go of the shame. For my God was enough. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You, never, you don't have to live in it any longer. Come to the cross. Lay it at the foot of the cross. I love what this song says. Listen to the lyrics. I can't go back to the beginning. Can't control what tomorrow will bring. But I know here in the middle is the place where you promise to be. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? As I walk now through the valley, let your love rise above every fear. Like the sun shaping the shadow in my weakness, your glory appears. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? Not for a minute was I forsaken. Because the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Dry bones awaken. The Lord is in this place. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Because I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. went to the cross. He put all that shame behind him. If you're in this room 
and the Holy Spirit has tugged at your heart. We don't play church. You are the church. I want you to come. I want you to know there's freedom and victory. The first step is to come. You walk this altar or this aisle. You come to the altar. You lay it at that altar. You get up and walk away. And you say, take that shame. Because I will not allow you to put this on me any longer because I am free and free indeed. Because you're free. Because you have life. You have a hope and a Savior that no more shame can come on you. Would you come to Him? Would you cry out to Him? Would you meet Him here today? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that today we can despise the shame. God, we're in this room and people have always wanted to determine and say ugly things about us. They don't even know who we are. We know who we are. There might be some truth that even lie in that, but Lord, we're not going to accept it any longer. Because Lord, we're going to resign, surrender, and look toward you as the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. God, we know that you're writing the pages of our life. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God. Let us be like you in all thy ways. So, God, today we confess our sins before you and we lay that shame down. Let go of the sin. Let go of our pride. Help us, God. Deliver us. Free us from the chains that have kept us in addiction that have kept us in pornography, that have kept us from smoking or drinking or areas of our life where we have lost our way. Free us today so we no longer have to be a slave to Satan. Because you said it is finished. Thank you for your peace that passes all understanding. Thank you for your help in our daily walk. For we need you. Help us to never go back to the beginning. And we can't control what tomorrow will bring. But God, I know here in the middle is the place where you promise.